Luke 5, verses 1 to 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't bought anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Please leave your Bibles open there at uh, chapter 5 of Luke. Now, as we come to God's word, it's always important that we pray that God's spirit would open our eyes so that we can see what he has for us. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would lead us in this time as we hear from your word and as we reflect on its meaning. Uh, Lord, we pray that your spirit would guide us, that uh, the words that uh, I speak now would not be mine, Lord, but led by your spirit that they would encourage and challenge our hearts, Lord, to serve you in new and, and different ways and renew our hope in the gospel. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I know uh, many of you like to do uh, the occasional jigsaw puzzle. Uh, I know Terry's doing a very hard one at the moment. And uh, I know there's also quite a few of you that are, are like the odd uh, crossword puzzle, bit of a challenge, get those uh, cogs moving. But in Virginia, in the United States of America, there is the puzzle to end all puzzles. And this puzzle is actually a, in the form of a huge sculpture. And it's actually a cipher that's been placed in front of the Virginian CIA headquarters back all the way back in 1990. The sculpture has four coded passages and has been there, like I said, for 30 years. But even after 30 years, only three of the four ciphers have been uh, decoded. The answer that they've been looking for is right in front of their eyes. They know where it is. And now that they've actually decoded three of the four passages, they even know what kind of cipher they're dealing with. And yet there is still one cipher that is yet to be cracked. They know all the evidence, it's right in front of them, and yet they're still struggling to crack this difficult code. I'm sure we all know people who have spent 30, 40, 50 or more years coming to church, going to church every single week, and yet they still haven't been able to make sense of the evidence of who Jesus really is. I'm sure we all have family members. Uh, Nick just prayed for our family members who don't know Jesus. 
I have some, I'm sure you do as well, who have heard the gospel and yet still don't know the real Jesus. They still can't make sense of the evidence that's all around them. We long for them to understand, but the busyness of this life, the worries and desires of this world have veiled their eyes. And even for those who have seen the evidence and understood the truth, there is always the constant danger, the constant trap, that we will lose sight of how good the good news is, that we will take this good news for granted, of seeing and understanding, of finding hope in it, finding real joy in the good news of the gospel, but of being led away by the busyness and tiredness, the desires of this age that drag us away so that we no longer are able to see the real Jesus. Now in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah the prophet of the Lord was shown a vision of God seated on the throne, high and exalted, and above him were seraphs, six-winged creatures who in the presence of God called out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And as they spoke, the doorpost shook. You can imagine this whole temple shaking at the sound of their voices. And Isaiah, as he witnessed these things, his heart began to tremble within him. He realised that he was now in the presence of God. And in that moment of clarity, as he saw the one in perfect holiness that was right there in front of him, he began to cry out woes upon himself. He said, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In God's presence, Isaiah was struck with such a fear that it caused him to cry out woes upon himself as Isaiah came into the presence of God. The reality that he could not stand in God's presence apart from a mediator was made very clear. Have we seen God lately? Have we experienced his presence Have we seen the glory of the one in whom we serve? Have we experienced the awe of standing in God's presence as we approach the throne of grace in prayer? Or has our image of God been tamed to fit in with our lives and our expectations? Have we lost our sense of fear and reverence in God's presence. This is the case for any of us, if not all of us, then we need to see the real Jesus again. Not the one that we've tamed in our minds, but the real Jesus, the one whom all the evidence reveals. Because when we see the real Jesus, everything else is put into perspective. In this morning's passage, Simon, who, as I mentioned last week, would later be called Simon Peter, or just Peter, further down the track, Simon meets the real Jesus. 
And as Simon saw the real Jesus for the first time, everything else is brought into perspective. So in verses uh, 1 to 7, Jesus makes two requests. Now, I just said that uh, Simon saw Jesus, the real Jesus, for the first time. But this certainly isn't the first time that Simon had come across Jesus. When Jesus had visited the synagogue in Capernaum, which we read about last week, and cast out the demon in the synagogue, Simon would have been among the onlookers. And we know this because after Jesus left the synagogue, he went to Simon's mother-in-law's house because he was asked to go there. And it's also very likely that while Jesus healed all the sick and demon-possessed, that Simon was there watching as all of this took place. And so we know that Simon has had a lot of experience with Jesus as a rabbi, as a wise rabbi, and as an amazing healer. Simon had already been given a great deal of evidence that points to who Jesus really is. But Simon hadn't put it all together. The Holy Spirit hadn't opened Simon's eyes so that he had eyes to see and ears to hear. One day after Simon and his friends, his fishing companions, had been fishing all night, they were washing their nets, as you do, looking after their gear, uh, with the weight of manually letting out these huge nets. These weren't little nets and having to physically drop them into the water and then drag them back up with all of the resistance, doing that time after time, all night with no reward, they were tired and they would have been disheartened. Every muscle in their bodies would have been aching. And then in the midst of all of this, Simon saw a bloke go and sit in his boat. And he couldn't blame Simon at this point if he went and had a go at this bloke for sitting in his boat. But when Simon realised this was Jesus, the same guy who had healed his mother-in-law, well, he probably felt duty-bound to let it go. But just as Simon was most likely coming to terms with the fact that Jesus had gone and sat in his boat, Jesus made his first request, which was to put out a little offshore. So to just dock the boat just off the edge of the water. At this point, Simon was tired. He'd probably been, uh, probably hadn't even finished cleaning his nets. And more than likely, he just wanted to go home, get clean and go to bed. But out of respect for the man who had healed his mother-in-law, Simon did what Jesus asked. Once the boat was fixed in place, once the anchor had been let down, Jesus taught the people on the shore. Now, we don't know, but it's not hard to imagine Simon having a little bit of a nap, a bit of a snooze in the back of the boat while all this was going on. When Jesus had finished speaking, he turned to Simon and made the second and the strangest request. He said, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, I think Simon was probably inwardly saying to himself, 
Now, hang on, this bloke's a carpenter. What on earth does this carpenter think that he knows about fishing? Simon was an experienced fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter. And also, by this time, it was about the middle of the day, the absolute worst time of the day to try and catch fish. Not to mention the fact that doing or fulfilling Jesus' request would have meant dirtying these nets that they'd only just been cleaning. But out of respect for Jesus, the one in whom had healed his mother-in-law, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when he let down those nets, such a large amount of fish were caught in them that they began to break. And it caused an exciting frenzy which caused him to signal his other fishing companions to come over and bring the other boat. But even with two boats, the load was so big that the boats were beginning to sink. This was their dream catch. This is like striking gold. They'd never seen anything like this. And it was all because they'd listened to the fishing advice of a carpenter. In verses 8 to 11, Simon realises that he is in the presence of God. When what had just happened hit home for Simon, he fell to his knees in front of Jesus and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Simon had seen Jesus casting a demon out of the man in the temple, in the synagogue. He had seen him rebuke his mother-in-law's fever. But now, because of this catch of fish, he had finally seen the real Jesus. He finally realised that he was in the presence of God. Not so much because of this miracle was any greater than the other ones, but because the Holy Spirit at this point had given him eyes to see and ears to hear. And Simon and his companions now knew that Jesus is the Christ. And like Isaiah, when Simon realised the purity, the holiness, the power and the authority of the one who stood before him, all his good works seemed utterly worthless in God's presence. Overwhelmed with guilt and shame, Simon was left with no other resort but to plead with Jesus to leave his presence. With Jesus around, Simon knew that all of his sin would be laid bare for the world to see against Jesus' perfect holiness. But as Simon grappled with the weight of his sin, Jesus reached out to him in mercy and said, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men and women. Rather than condemning Simon, Jesus had shown him mercy. Rather than casting him out of his presence, Jesus had commissioned him for service. And as Simon and his companions saw the real Jesus for the first time, everything else seemed to fade into the background. The importance of this huge catch of fish that would have been financially life-changing for these men 
seemed insignificant now as they pulled their boats to shore, as they left their nets with the fish still in them, left their livelihoods behind and followed Jesus. Before, they have thought of Jesus as a wise rabbi and as an amazing healer. But now, having seen the real Jesus, everything was suddenly put into perspective. Farmers, can you imagine having the most amazing harvest and leaving that harvest in the silos, being called to leave that harvest in the silos, in the chaser bins, and going and following Jesus? This is what these men were called to do. The things of this life didn't matter in the same way that they used to. Things that seemed so important in the past seemed utterly insignificant to them now. As Simon and his companions saw the real Jesus as they stood in the presence of God. It's always a privilege to see someone's eyes open to the real Jesus. It's always exciting to see God at work in someone who had just seen how important the good news of Jesus is, both now and for eternity. It's exciting to see Jesus make a radical difference in someone's life. Faith in Jesus is life-changing, not just at the point in which we first encounter it, but all the way through our lives. The good news of Jesus requires us to give up what we want for ourselves in surrender to what Christ wants for us. Now, I can't speak about anyone else's experience and I'm reluctant to even speak about mine, but as I walked away from the business that I dreamed about from a small child and went to go from being a well-known business person to a nobody as a student at Bible college, as I sold my dream car that I'd worked for years to get to go and drive an old bomb magna, as God called us to serve him, the Holy Spirit gave Tamara and I such a clarity about that that none of those things seemed to matter anymore. They had no value to us. No one else could understand it at the time, not even many in our own church family. They thought I'd lost my marbles. But leaving those things seemed like a very little sacrifice compared to the surpassing glory of knowing Christ. And it still does now. That's not to say that we didn't have times of doubt and regret. But when we stand in the presence of Christ, when we see our sin for what it really is, when we see the good news of Jesus for what it really is, when we realise the sacrificial love that he has shown for us, everything is put into perspective. Now, of course, not everyone will be caused to call to leave homes and businesses and families and friends, but all of us are called to hold the things of this life loosely in case God at any time calls us to give them up or chooses to take them away. 
regardless of whether we are called to go or whether we are called to stay. All those in Christ have been called where we are to live for the good news of Jesus. We've been called to prioritise the good news of Jesus over anything in this life that we are chasing or anything in in this life that we already have. This is costly. This costs us something. And sometimes this is very painful. But the good news of Jesus is worth any cost. Jesus lays it out for us. He didn't sugarcoat it. In Luke 9, which we will get to, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man or a woman to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his or her very self? Have you seen the real Jesus lately? Has his word been challenging your way of thinking? Has it caused you to give thanks for Christ's sacrifice and to wrestle with your priorities? It is very easy to become absorbed in our own lives. It is very easy for us to become too comfortable. It's very easy for us to lose sight of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. This is a constant problem for all of us, including myself. This morning, we are being challenged to take stock, to reflect on who the evidence reveals that Christ is, who it is that we are serving, what it is we are living for, and where, in fact, our hope lies. And how knowing the real Jesus changes our priorities, both in this life and our hope for the next. The good news of Jesus changes everything. And so may we be filled with a joy of sharing in the good news of Jesus, in sharing in Christ's mission. May our hearts be filled with a hope for the lost, for a heart for the lost. May we have a desire to reach out to those who don't know him. May we be prepared to self-sacrificially speak to those who don't know him. Often it's only our concerns for feeling awkward or saying something silly that stops us. May we put Christ before our own fears of being awkward. May we be men and women who live in the light of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. May the hope we have in Jesus be seen in the way we make decisions, in the way we care for others, and the way we live our lives. I know that I am nowhere near where I want to be in this walk with the Lord. But all we can do is go back to the cross and remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us 
so that our hope might be renewed, our joy in the gospel might be renewed, so that we can remember the priority that the good news of Jesus should have in our lives. Let's pray to Christ now and ask him to give us hearts that desire to serve him and that he may renew our hope in the joy of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it's, it's so easy for us to be distracted by all of the blessings that you have put around us, to enjoy the comfortable homes we have, our families, our friends, our hobbies, our businesses, all of those things that are good things in and of themselves, Lord, but when we hold them in the wrong way, can lead us away from the hope we have in you. We pray this morning that you would renew our joy in the hope we have in Jesus, that those things that are blocking our vision, those things that are keeping us from sharing the hope we have in Jesus with our neighbours and our friends, we pray that you would smash down those walls, that you would give us boldness beyond what we have ever had before so that our hope in the good news of Jesus might be seen by all those who don't know you yet, that your light might shine through us in this strange season that we're in. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.